Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who has the scars from the dives that he's played in. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today in the garage, we are very excited to be featuring Juicy ASAP from the fantastic brewers at the Saucy Brew Works. Juicy ASAP is an American India pale ale with a beautiful deep gold color. This beer is dripping with tropical fruit notes, a good deal of honeydew coming through with a superb finish of dank hops. It's crisp and refreshing. Garage grade. I love this one, Captain. So let's go for and three-quarter bottle caps out of five. And a big thank you goes out to all of our wonderful listeners, especially those ones who contributed to this week's beer fund. A big cheers to Katie in Sacramento, California. And a big we like to jib to Melody and Riverside, California. And last but certainly not least, a big shout-out to Shar in Plainfield, Illinois. Everybody we mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and clicked on the donate button, contributing to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you're not signed up on our mailing list, you should do so so you're in the know and you can get discounts on the garage store and you can sign up at truecrimegarage.com. Colonel, that is enough of the BSNS. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Last year, True Crime Garage received a letter that read in part, I live in one of those small NYC suburbs where crime is predominantly of the property variety and murder is extremely rare. But on a Monday morning in September of 2007, a beloved postman in our community was killed in his third floor walk-up apartment. The victim, Stephen Spina, was a young and friendly single dad. The facts are somewhat cut and dry. His on-again, off-again girlfriend left him alone in his apartment when she headed to work. It was Stephen's day off, and when he didn't respond to his girlfriend's text about a lunch date, she returned to his apartment midday and found Stephen stabbed to death. No arrests have ever been made in this case. Where Stephen lived is a small town, the kind of town where most people know each other. Stephen grew up here and was friends with most of the people in town and knew or was friends with most of the people on his mail route. In fact, Stephen was good friends with one of the detectives originally assigned to his case. And now, a new cold case detective has been assigned to Stephen's case. Thank you again for taking a look at this. True Crime Garage has such a large following, I really believe it might help advance Stephen's case if you guys would cover it. Thanks again, Suzanne. After reading Suzanne's letter, we of course got on the internet 
to see what, if anything, could be found about Steven Spina. There were a few internet stories covering the case. Then, we found an interview with his daughter, Skylar. And watching her interview, we both knew, right then and there, we had to cover this case. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the still unsolved case of Steven Spina. Sunday, September 16th, 2007, I would be willing to make a handsome wager that on that Sunday night, 36-year-old Stephen Patrick Spina, when he went to bed and the head went to pillow, he was probably smiling and looking forward to Monday morning. Stephen had every reason to believe that that Monday would be a great day. That night, his girlfriend Tamara was staying the night at his apartment. Stephen had Monday off from work, and in the morning, his girlfriend would take off for work, and then she would be joining Stephen for a lunch date. After lunch, Stephen had his favorite event scheduled for the evening, taking his daughter to the New York Yankees baseball game. Now, Stephen played and participated in some form of baseball for almost his entire life, and it had to be a dream come true for him to share his love of the game with the love of his life, his 12-year-old daughter, Skylar. It was the middle of September, and that meant that the Yankees were still fighting to keep their October MLB playoff hopes alive. That Monday evening, the Yankees were playing Baltimore. Unfortunately, they never went to the game. Someone killed Steven Spina that morning in his apartment. Now, Captain, let's go through what is known about this still unsolved homicide case. Well, like the colonel said, it was a Monday morning, but Stephen was a mail carrier, so it was actually his day off. This is a brief description from projectcoldcase.org. They have several news articles from Stephen's case on their website, which are interesting to check out if you have the extra time. Now, the facts are as follows. On Monday, September 17th, 2007, Stephen Spina was stabbed to death in his Mamaroneck, New York apartment. There were no signs of forced entry into the apartment. Nothing was reported to have been stolen from the home. It is very likely that Stephen knew his killer. He was last seen by a neighbor at approximately 9.30 a.m. that morning, and he was found deceased by his girlfriend around 12.30 p.m. Detectives raised a number of leads, including information about Stephen's tires being slashed not long before his murder. Also investigated were tips regarding prior relationships of Stephen's and his girlfriend. Now, let's fill in the blanks here if we can. As we know, Captain, the injuries that are reported is that, unfortunately, our victim was stabbed multiple times here. There is evidence that this crime is personal. The evidence and the crime scene suggests that this was a personal cause homicide. The weapon itself, to the public's knowledge, the weapon identified simply as a knife has never been found. Evidence at the scene suggests that the killer brought the weapon 
with them to the crime scene. And again, the apartment was not ransacked and nothing was stolen. Well, and like we said, Stephen was a mail carrier and he had a different schedule than most people. So the fact that he was off on a Monday and killed on the day he would have been off, it's most likely that the killer knew Stephen because he would have had to know that Stephen would have been home that day. Yes, and you're exactly right there, Captain. I believe that that is a significant clue in this case. So a couple of things. We discussed that the apartment's not robbed. There doesn't appear to be anything of significant value missing from the apartment when the detectives are searching through the scene. The other thing, though, too, is this is a third floor apartment. It's not like somebody just stumbles in off of the street and attacks this guy in his apartment. Again, no signs of forced entry. So did Stephen let the person or persons into his apartment that day around noon? And you're exactly right regarding his schedule. So that Monday, September 17th, Stephen was off from work. He's a postal carrier in Larchmont, which from my understanding, the way that his schedule works, it's quite different from most people's work schedules. It's not the typical Monday through Friday, nine to five type of gig. Stephen was off on Sundays. Every Sunday he had off. Now his other day off each week would be a rotating day. For example, on this week, he is off on Monday. Well, the following week, he would be off on Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday and so on. And then this pattern repeats itself. So on this particular day, he's off from work. This has to be some kind of clue here because not so many people would just know that he would be off on this particular day, that he would be home if somebody had a beef with him or, or somebody had a reason to go to his apartment and attack and kill him, well, then that person very likely knew and had prior knowledge that he was off that day. Definitely. The area itself, this Mamaroneck, is a small town. In fact, it's the, the village of Mamaroneck. Stephen's girlfriend, they had been together on and off for about two years Right. Is my understanding at the time of this homicide. Now on that day, she had stayed the night at Stephen's apartment the night before, which was pretty common from, from my understanding. And she goes off to work. She works nearby. This is about maybe a 10 minute drive. Well, she is texting Stephen because they had plans for a lunch date that day. When he doesn't respond to those texts, she decides, well, I better go to the apartment and check on him, make sure he didn't lose his phone, make sure everything's okay. She gets to the apartment. This is the tricky thing here. No forced entry into the apartment, but when the girlfriend, Tamara, arrives at the apartment, the door is locked. So she has to get the super and convince the super to let her into the apartment, which she successfully does. When she goes in, then she finds Stephen having been stabbed to death in the apartment. She calls 911. Again, small town, so a very quick response time. We have police and first responders on the scene very quickly after she arrives back at the apartment that day. Well, with no sign of forced entry and the door being locked when they arrive, it makes you wonder what kind of lock was on the door. Yeah, it's difficult to say. I don't know the exact specifications of the lock or the door itself. 
other than to know that it required a key for her to get in when she found him that day. The current detective, which we did speak with, is not the original detective that was there on the scene that day. But that that would be interesting to know, Captain. How did the killer, one, gain access to the apartment, and two, then leave having left the door locked behind them? Now, there's key things at this crime scene that we need to talk about. So the weapon, again, described as a knife, there's evidence and things at the scene that suggest that the killer brought the weapon with them to the crime scene. The knife has never been found. We've never actually received information or it's never been released to the public how many times Stephen was stabbed. And there's details about this crime scene and details about the attack and his injuries that have never been released to the public. So here we have the police holding back a good bit of information with the understanding of a few things that we believe that there was no forced entry to the home. The weapon was brought to the scene. There's also some things at the scene, Captain, that it's a difficult scene for for police. Right. This would be a pretty violent struggle. Mm -hmm. Steven was in good shape. He was 36 years old. He would not be easy to take down. So one thing that we might have to consider here is the possibility of more than one person present or more than one person involved in the actual attack on Steven there that day in his apartment. Police aren't willing to say one way or the other if it was two people or one person that was there. They do believe, though, that it's likely that there is some kind of involvement here where we have a situation where either somebody else knows what somebody did and who killed Stephen or may have even had some knowledge at the time prior to this attack think about his employment he's a mail carrier so he is walking routes and carrying the bags of mail so like you said good shape and on his off time he would umpire little league games so this guy has an active life like you said there is a good possibility there was more than one attacker yes police certainly not ruling out that possibility Now, one of the items that is of significant evidence here in this case is that a size 11 boot print was found at the scene. And to be perfectly clear here, Captain, this boot print had to take place either during the attack or just after the attack. So this person, whoever this boot print belongs to, is directly involved in this crime. It's a bloody boot print. So it's a suspect boot print that was found at the scene. It has been reported that it's possibly a Timberland brand boot. But to be perfectly honest here, it's my understanding that the print itself, while comparing it to other boots, that the Timberland boot most fits or best fits this possible shoe pattern or the the sole of the boot itself right there are a couple of other brands that in similar styles that could not be 100 percent ruled out so while police are leaning on the idea that this is a timberland brand boot it's certainly not 100 percent that it has to be a timberland brand 
One thing that's very weird about this case, too, is that there had been some vandalism done prior to Stephen's murder. You have to look at this situation and go, okay, is this directly connected to the case or is it not? So Stephen had a white Nissan Stanza, which is like a small sedan, and he would park this vehicle out on the street, typically in front of the apartment building. His tires were slashed approximately two months prior to his murder. Now, this is very weird. And of course, this is going to jump right off the page to everybody for significant reasons. One, this was a personal cause homicide. This was something that was somebody had a beef with Stephen and, and, and attacked him in his apartment. Well, that goes right hand in hand with somebody vandalizing his vehicle. And then when we talk about him being stabbed to death and tire slash, well, possibly a similar style weapon or the same weapon used here in the vandalism and then later in the the homicide. Well, when first looking into this case, I thought, oh, that's that's crazy. Is is it possible that just one of his tires were slashed and Maybe it was an accident or maybe, you know, you got a flat tire. I I have known some people that actually had a flat tire that were convinced that somebody slashed their tire, but no. In this scenario, Stephen had all four of his tires slashed. And this was reported to police at the time. Right. And what's interesting here is while we don't know 100% who slashed his tires, When talking with detectives, they believe that they know who who slashed the tires. So the way that the the portion of this story goes is when Stephen reports this, of course, the first thing they ask him is going to be, do you have any idea who would who would do this to you? You know, was this was this random? Was this some some teenagers out pulling a prank or was this somebody that uh, you're having a problem with? And he named a person to the detectives and said, this individual, we've been having issues, and I believe that it was this person that slashed my tires. He's basing this off of verbal altercations that he's had with an individual, as well as threats that were made. When we say threats, I don't know the extent of those threats, Captain. I don't know if this person threatened his life or threatened him with bodily harm or threatened to slash his tires, but whatever the threats were and whatever the verbal altercations were that took place, this is what led Steven to telling police, Hey, my tires were slashed. I'm, I'm filing a report and I believe it was this person. Now, Steven was a a very popular individual. He grew up in this area. This is a small town. The village of Mamaroneck is a small smaller town. In fact, I want to say it was about 28,000, 27,000 would be the population around the time of his murder. But he grew up in this town, and this is the kind of town where you knew most of the people in town. And then given his job, his occupation out there on his mail route, he knew most of the people on his mail route as well in that nearby Lurchmont. And his mail route, from my understanding, Captain, work like this. And this is pretty typical. Once you get a route, 
you don't get rotated on and off of that route frequently. You stay on that route for a good deal of time. And like I said, he's 36 years old. He's got years in on the job. So he's had this route for a considerable amount of time. He knows a lot of people in the area from having grown up there and his occupation. As you pointed out, he umpires baseball games and volunteers with the youth in the community, coaching baseball and being a part of softball in the community. So he knows a lot of people and he's a popular guy. He's well liked, but I think this kind of shows his personality a little bit too. When he reports the tires being slashed and then tells police, Hey, this is the person I believe did it. He tells the police, you know, it's not a big deal. I just wanted to have it reported. You don't need to go talk to this person, which of course they did. In fact, my understanding is this, they don't go and talk to the person because of the requests that they get from Steven at the time when he reports the vandalism. But of course, after the murder, they go and speak with this individual. Yeah. If somebody slashed my tires, I'm going to go take a shit in their sandwich. The other thing now, this could be directly connected or it could have nothing to do with anything at all here, captain, but we can't, we can't just not discuss this next item. His girlfriend's windshield was smashed and I don't have an exact date for this, but it's my understanding that this, this vandalism took place before Steven's tires were slashed and Steven's tires on his white Nissan stanza were slashed approximately two months prior to the homicide. Yeah. Another interesting point to this case, you have vandalism to Steven's car. Then you have vandalism that happened before that to his girlfriend's car. And you wonder if those are connected and if those are connected, then maybe they're connected to his murder. I don't know if the windshield being smashed was reported to police. I don't know if, if it was, if it was the same scenario where it was believed to be a person that they knew that they could, could say, Hey, and suggest we think it was this person who who did this. Mm-hmm. But in a strange twist in this case, police tell us, tell the captain and the colonel that we have three to five individuals. While we're not really ruling anybody out, we've not officially cleared anybody publicly in the case. We have three to five individuals that have separated themselves from everybody else. And when we say separated themselves, we mean they've put themselves on a short list of suspects here in this case, three to five individuals. The strange twist is the individual that is believed to have slashed the tires did not make it onto that short list of individuals that the police are interested in for Steven Spina's case. Now, I don't know what you found or what you were told, but again, when you're looking into this case and you hear that Steven's car was vandalized, four tires slashed, obviously with a knife, and he was murdered with a knife, you go, red flag. Well, it could have been a box cutter or, I mean, we don't know exactly what was used for for the slashing of the tires, but yes, you're right. It's a sharp weapon, similar, something immediately you jump. 
when you hear of the the knife attack and you hear of the tires being slashed, you immediately make that leap and go, these two things have to be connected. We say it all the time. The timelines are so important. And in this case, it's even more important because we have such a small window. So you'd have to have an alibi for that small window. Well, and that's exactly the scenario here, Captain. We have but a three-hour window when this murder had to have taken place. And therefore, if you go and you speak to suspect number one in the tire slashing incident, and you can confirm that this individual was at work or was in another town or was somewhere where you have a lock down solid alibi for this person, then this person doesn't make it onto that short list of suspects. And I'm guessing Knowing the amount of people that police spoke to and the amount of people that were investigated in this case, that that is what separated this individual and did not put them on that short list of suspects. Which would be frustrating if you're law enforcement, you would think you have a really good lead and then you realize if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. filthy animals we are back cheers thank you so much for listening thanks for telling a friend thanks for sharing these cases on social media cheers to you cheers to you captain cheers to all the people out there in listener land now this case is incredibly difficult for a couple of reasons it's one a little difficult to tell the story because we have that hold back information that is not providing a whole lot of details about the crime scene itself. We have been told by law enforcement that this was a complicated crime scene and that they've had some some setbacks with it. They are going through the testing or retesting process, we should say. There is a significant amount of physical evidence that was collected at Stephen's apartment. That evidence is being retested. They're hoping to learn new information based off of those tests, and that will be taking place within the next couple of weeks. So we could be getting some big news here in Stephen's case, but without that big news or without somebody coming forward with additional information, the way that this case looks now, it's sitting there and it's it's pretty cold with the exception of the retesting of the evidence. Well, at least there's some movement and hopefully those tests give us some kind of answer. Well, in this area, this Mamernik is a, it's a village. It's a small town. As I said earlier, we're looking at about 28, 29,000 people in 2007. The state of New York's homicide rate is lower than the national average. The village of Mamaroneck's homicide rate is well below that of the state of New York. In fact, most years, the village of Mamaroneck experiences zero homicides. And because of this, 
As you can imagine, Captain, there are very few unsolved homicides left on the books. Currently, they have three. So this is personal. When you have this type of scenario, this is personal for the detectives and for the police department itself. Currently, in 2023, they only have three unsolved homicides. It's the kind of situation where you have the entire detective bureau, you have the entire police force, everyone from the police chief all the way down through the ranks to the rookie cop, all of them here knows, every one of them knows of the three unsolved homicides that you have left here in Mamaroneck. There's a female torso that washed up in Mamaroneck. There's a male victim that was murdered in the 90s. And then you have Steven Spina's case, the well-liked mail carrier that everybody knew. So you have a lot of individuals with the vested interest in solving this case because it is a community. It's a crime against the community. And Stephen was one of the beloved members of that community. Currently, there's a $40,000 reward for information in this case. Some of that is coming from, by the way of the family, and some of that comes by the way of Crime Stoppers. Like you said, Stephen lived on the third floor. So do we have any more information about that location? Yes. Like I said here, Captain, most years experiencing no homicides in the area. So the crime rate rather low. It's mostly property crimes in this area. Stephen owned a third floor walk-up co-op apartment at the Mamaroneck Gardens apartment complex. And it looks like this is a freestanding red brick garden style apartment. His building was between Palmer Avenue and Boston Post Road and located at 300 Rich Bell Road. And as we said, Stephen lived there. Technically, he lived there alone. To complicate things a little bit, we have his girlfriend, Tamara, who, from my understanding, they've been on again, off again for about two years. At this point in their relationship, everything's going great. This is one of the the high points of their relationship. Everything's going good. They're getting along very well. And she is staying most nights at his apartment. Now, as said, Stephen is also a father. He's separated from his daughter's mother. And his daughter, Skylar, she has her own bedroom at his apartment. And Stephen had a rule that he was pretty strict about. He did not have his girlfriend stayed the night on the same nights that his daughter stayed the night. His daughter's mother is not on that short list, is not a person that has separated themselves from everybody else. Police are satisfied with all of the information that they've received from her. In fact, it's well noted and well known in the community, the relationship between Stephen and his ex it was it was a very good relationship, and they had a very good setup as far as shared custody of Skyler went. That a, a schedule that was working for both of them on both ends. And also keep in mind, this is not like a a recent separation or a recent split up. This was a, a situation that they had been in for years prior to the homicide. And this wasn't the only ex of Stevens that law enforcement talked to. And it, it seemed like all of his ex-girlfriends had good things to say about Steven. And there didn't seem that there was any bad blood between any of his exes. 
That's exactly right. The, the, any time that he had a separation that for the most part, people stayed friends and people still liked each other after they parted ways. I think the suspicion here then falls into the category of the person who slashed the tires, right? Th this person, as we know, is not on that short list for police, but you're going to have individuals. Steven was a popular guy. He had been in and out of some different relationships, and there is some thought that maybe this all has to do with jealousy, that somebody that was either in a relationship with Steven or was involved with somebody who was in a relationship with Steven at some point that this, that this may have to do with one of those relationships, some type of love triangle that is believed to be the case here in this situation that the, whoever attacked Steven had personal cause to do so. We talked about that boot print that was found at the scene. Now, it sounds like no unknown fingerprints were found at the scene and the scene was pretty bloody. That's the best description I can give to you. It, the, the boot print was a size 11 there. That's, that's a hardcore fact right there. They're not saying 11 and a half. They're not saying 10 and a half. No, they know the size of this boot print. They believe that it's possibly from a Timberland style boot. Our victim was stabbed multiple times. But again, nothing was missing from this third floor apartment, this small garden style apartment. One of the things I can't get over is a couple months before his murder, his tires were slashed. Is it possible that Stephen told the police, I think this is who did it, but it was actually somebody else? Well, and because this is a suburb of New York City, I'm envisioning this situation, Captain, and, and very much thinking about law and order. Right where you okay, you got the cops. Now we we have a, a victim here, a homicide victim here. The detectives are out. They're going to go talk to this person who Stephen believes slashed his tires. And I'm kind of picturing this, and it goes like this: where the guy goes, "Yeah, I slashed the tires, but I I didn't kill anybody." Dun, dun, dun. We've all seen that scene before, or a similar scene on on something like Law and Order. Right. But what I've been told here from the detectives that have worked this case, the individual that they spoke to that Steve had pointed them toward never admitted to slashing the tires and certainly didn't admit to killing Steven Spina. What their belief is they believe that Steven was probably correct about the vandalism that he had picked the right person and they have reasons for backing that up. We can't prove it. You're exactly right. We can't prove it 100%. But I think that if the detectives were actually getting paid to solve the vandalism incident, that they probably would be able to solve it. However, they're working a homicide. And again, while they're satisfied that they've identified the person that, that may be responsible for the vandalism, they're saying that person is not on their short list of suspects. Well, one of the things that really frustrates me about this case is you would assume that the killer would have some blood on him. Where are the eyewitnesses that saw a man with blood? Where is the security footage? Maybe from the apartment complex or a local store. I mean, this is a small town that would have multiple cameras. Why didn't we get somebody on security footage? Well, and that's just the problem here. We don't have that eyewitness. And so where we have a situation where the time of day 
very likely can clue you into who should be a suspect and who should not be a suspect. It also, in some weird way, works toward the advantage of the killer because it's a Monday and most people are busy. They're off at work. They're out doing their thing. There's not a lot of not a lot of eyeballs just scanning the neighborhood, watching what's going on. One set of eyeballs was a neighbor person that saw Stephen go out to his car around 9.30 a.m. that morning. This person, while we said almost nobody has been publicly cleared, this person is not a suspect, and there's no evidence to that this person should be a suspect. In fact, this information is helpful to the investigation, and this person came forward. So now we're dealing with a very short window of only three hours. A lot of people have suggested maybe the girlfriend, his current girlfriend at the time, should be a suspect. And of course, she was certainly looked at here in this case. Police have not said if she's a suspect or not. They've certainly not publicly named his girlfriend as a suspect. People are suspicious of her because she lawyered up. But there's there's a little more information than just girlfriend finds boyfriend dead and then lawyers up. She didn't lawyer up until about three or four months after, and she was very cooperative with police and detectives early on in their investigation. And when I asked the detective, I said, you know, some people think that it's suspicious that this girlfriend switched from being cooperative to not cooperative and then lawyers up. The detective wasn't going to offer up personal feelings or opinions about that, but was very open and honest when saying, look, it's not uncommon in our investigations for somebody to cooperate for a period of time and then get a lawyer and be less cooperative or not cooperate at all. So while this may look suspicious to Joe public out there, this doesn't look so suspicious to the detectives that are actively investigating this homicide. Well, you can also get a lawyer from the beginning and also be cooperative with police I just wonder if there's another reason why she ended up getting a lawyer. Is it possible that they were asking her if there's anybody suspicious in her past and maybe she was getting fearful that she was giving too much information? Well, sometimes people get scared and that could be the situation here. It's, it's difficult to say. I would love for her to explain to us her thoughts on it, but if she's not talking to detectives, she's likely not going to talk to us two guys here in the garage. Oh, come on. Why not? We could offer a lawn chair or a nice cold beverage. When we say some people get scared, we know that Skylar, his daughter, chooses not to live in this area. And that is in large part because the person that killed Stephen has not been identified, not been arrested. It's one of those tricky cases where you have some people on the outside that look good, and then you get to talking to detectives who have worked this case very diligently. They're telling you that, look, while we've, we've not publicly named suspects, we have three to five that have separated themselves from everybody else, and the person that we believe that slashed the tires is not on that list. His daughter's mother not on that list. It doesn't sound like the the girlfriend, that his girlfriend at the time was on that list either. It sounds to me like they were interested in some other 
persons. And again, they can't rule out. They're not saying was this one person or two people that were at the crime scene when Steven was killed. So there's a lot of meat left on the bone here. A lot more information that is needed to take a good, strong look at his case. What's interesting too, when you go back to the vandalism incident is Steven says that while he believes this person slashed his tires, I assume that that meant that he, this was a, a, a jealous ex of Steven's current girlfriend, or maybe Steven was involved with somebody that this person that may have slashed his tires was involved with. It's my understanding that while that might've been a suspicion of this individual, that Steven told police at the time he was not involved with what, whatever this person suspected him of Steven had not done. He had not had a relationship or, or whatever this individual that slashed his tires believed Steven had done or whatever he was mad at him for. Steven told detectives that he did not, do that. He didn't have any involvement in that. Well, I know there's a lot of suspicion around his girlfriend, but she didn't work that far from the apartment, but she was at work. So you'd think that they would know where she was at at the time of the murders. She works about five to maybe 10 minutes drive from the apartment. Right. And from what we've been told is they don't have any evidence to suggest that she wasn't where she said she was that morning. Right. Uh, so that would be at work again, a lot of the, the answers here and a lot of the information that is public in this case is vague and it's purposely done that way to keep some of the information vague. There's clearly something here in this case that police are aware of that only the killer or killers would, would know. And that's the information that they are protecting. And that is what will ultimately lead them to an arrest. The interesting thing to me is that we already have some individuals that have been separated from the rest of the herd Mm -hmm. as suspects. Again, they've not publicly cleared anybody, not publicly naming any suspects. I would be willing to wager a hundred dollars here, captain, that there are people that they've air quotes cleared in their investigation. They're not going to go out of their way to publicly clear those individuals. They're looking for information. They're, they're still requesting information from the public. They will be retesting physical evidence at the murder scene that will be retested again this year, very soon. And that could come back with some information and yield some clues to really shrink that list of five potential suspects down to the two that did it or down to the one that did it. At that point, we might have winner, winner, chicken dinner, and they might have some DNA that they're able to test or some even touch DNA. You take somebody that was an ex-boyfriend of his current girlfriend and, and place them at the scene. They shouldn't be in his apartment. And there was, there is one individual in particular that has, not been named, but has moved away from the area that is of concern that has further complicated the murder investigation. And police just want to remind everybody that there is no tip that is too small in this case. As we said, this is an area that experiences zero homicides most years. 
And in fact, they only have three unsolved homicides still on the books. Steven Spina's 2007 case is one of those three homicides that is still unsolved. Everybody on the force is aware of Steven's case. He was a popular guy, friendly guy, well-liked. In fact, one of the detectives that was originally assigned to the case was very good friends with Steven Spina. So, well, Colonel, I don't know if you've been on Reddit this week, but we have become Reddit famous again. One of the listeners was pointing out in the Browns chicken massacre case, how we seem to be champion this hold back information. But then in other cases, we haven't been champions of law enforcement holding back so much information. Well, I think that every case is unique and Certainly, it gets tough to really have a strong opinion on the finer details of those cases until you know what the specifics are. Yes, it's it's difficult because there are cases that you look at it and you go, why are they still holding back this information? Why won't they release more information? And in fact, in Stephen's case, I, I look at that this case and go, I think that it may be helpful to have more info out there on this case. However, I don't know what that information is. So detectives know what that information is and they're looking at it and they are deciding, okay, will this help us identify the person that, that killed Steven Spina? If the answer is no, then there's no reason to release that information. So just like in the Delphi case, one thing that the police were clear on here was they were saying the way that the girls were killed is not going to help us identify the man that was seen on the bridge that day. That it's not helpful to the investigation. Things here in this case that are helpful are things like the murder weapon. Was it brought to the scene? Did you find, find the murder weapon? The answers to those questions. Yes, we believe it was brought to the scene by the killer And no, we've not recovered the murder weapon. That is helpful information. The number of times that that Stephen was actually stabbed doesn't help us identify the killer at all. So again, it goes back to the idea of what is that information? Every case is unique. All evidence is unique to their cases. And you have to review them one at a time. When you review something at like the Amy Mahalovic case and they come out with information and they telling telling you something 27 years after the fact on something that's very uh, a one of a, almost a one of a kind item, they're asking for for the potential owner of a particular item. Well, that yes, it's helpful to identifying the the potential killer or the suspect in the Amy Mahalovic case. However, you're asking the public for their help on something that is 27 years old. Right. And so I think you can look at each situation and you can have a difference of opinion on should they be releasing more or are we fans of holding back the information? In the Browns case, it appeared very necessary. There were a couple of items that they were convinced that, that, that only the killers were going to know. That case, we saw how it panned out. They ended up getting more than one confession from persons that they did not try, that they did not arrest, they did not charge with the murders. That holdback information separated the confessions of the killers from the confessions of people that they just 
really look, they, they got, they got aggressive with them and they got confessions from people that they were interviewing. Those confessions weren't correct. And they knew that based off of that holdback information. Well, and I didn't see the question on Reddit, but somebody emailed it to me, but it is a good question. No, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. Well, very good question, but I think a very good answer. All these cases are so unique. They're almost like individuals' fingerprints. Well, and to segue this back into Steven's case, look at the boot print. That's something that's very specific. That's something that we, it's a size 11. Someone at the crime scene, someone that was present during the attack and during the murder could be the murderer themselves has a size 11 shoe, a size 11 boot print. That information was released to the public. That is something that can help identify the killer. One thing that would be great. And I really wish that they would be able to sort this out is if they could come out and definitively say, I think it's very responsible of them to be saying it the way that they are, but it would be great if they would be able to sort this out and definitively say, yes, that came from a Timberland brand boot. They can't do that because there there's a couple of other boot prints that are so similar that they're saying, we believe it's a Timberland, but we can't rule out one or two other possibilities here. So that is a, and an identifier. And so when we talk about holdback information here, we have a good piece of information that could identify the killer. And that being the size of their shoe. Right. Again, there's no tip that's too small. Detectives are welcoming any and all tips and information. If you have any information regarding the murder of Steven Spina in Mamaroneck, New York, please contact the village of Mamaroneck detective bureau at 914-825-8541 or you can call the New York State Crime Stoppers tip line at 866-313-TIPS. There is a reward totaling $40,000 for information that directly leads to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for Stephen's murder. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us here in the garage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. For everything true crime, check out truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. 